Bible to Acts chapter 13. Let's all stand together, if you would, for the reading of God's Word as we get started. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. Uh, why don't we read together the odd verses, and I'll take care of the even verses, all right? So everyone's following along and paying attention. Acts 13, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers and Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false, false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so his, is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. The title of my message this morning is, is the Holy Spirit as our guide. Let's pray together. Father, I pray your blessing and power upon the preaching of the Word of God. God, help me to preach your truth. Help me to deliver your message that everyone needs to hear today. I pray that you'll guard my mind, you'll guard my tongue, you'll guard my heart, and help me, Lord, to just honor you. Now I pray, Father, that we'll follow your Spirit that you would guide us into all truth, that you would search our hearts, and Lord, that you would do whatever is needed in each of our life. I pray, God, that your spirit would take the word that is delivered and apply it exactly where it needs to be applied. May you have your will and your way in all of us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I've told this story before, and for some of you, you've heard it, and others, perhaps not. 
I don't know if I've ever told it on a Sunday morning, but it relates to this message, and I wanted to use it to set this message up today. When I was a young, when I was a young Christian, and uh, I say young Christian, I had been saved for about ten years, but I just wasn't raised in the Word of God, and so the, the Word of God was pretty new to me. I was uh, got involved in church when I was nineteen. This is this happened when I was about twenty years of age. And I'd mentioned to you last Sunday about those two boys that I, that, uh, I went and picked up and brought to church. And uh, really, uh, Christy and I at that time were not married, but we treated those two boys as our first children. Uh, we loved those two kids. Well, their, their father, I had mentioned to you, was an alcoholic and, uh, and was not a very good dad to those boys. And uh, one day, we were finishing up a job and going to be done early. And uh, I knew the father did not work a regular job. And uh, I, the Lord just impressed upon my heart when I got off work to go and visit him. And uh, really, to my, my effort was to reach him with the gospel. And uh, I wanted to get there before school let out because the buses would come and those boys would get there. And I knew that once they got there, it would be all kinds of a distraction. And uh, so I got off work and I went to that trailer park and I knocked on the door. And uh, I asked uh, for, his name was Mark, I asked for Mark. And uh, the grandmother came to the door and she told me Mark was not there. And I'm going to tell you something. When she said those words, it's like the wind just came out of me. Because I really felt God was leading me to go talk to Mark that day. And, um, and so it just frustrated me. And, and I, I said, well, you know, I, something sort of like, that stinks, you know. And, and I was about to get back in my car. And, uh, and I, I just decided to shut the door. And uh, I said, Miss Francis, can I ask you a question? I said, are you a Christian? And she, that's when she spit that tobacco out of her mouth. And, and she said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, do you mind if I sit down with you with the Bible and tell you how you can know you're saved and how you know you can go to heaven? And she said, sure, why not? And I went in there and I sat down on the couch with her and I opened the Bible and I began to lead her to Christ, talk to her about her being a sinner. And, and I opened the Bible up and, and I asked her to read a verse and she ashamedly t- shared with me she couldn't read. And I said, well, that's okay, Miss Francis, I'll read the verses to you. And, and I just used my finger as I went. And uh, at that time, Miss Francis she prayed and accepted Jesus to be her Lord and Savior. That was an exciting day. You know why I love that story? That was the first person I ever led to Christ. It was a lady in her mid-70s, teeth, teeth rottening out. Her skin was tougher than leather. A, uh, a very unusual lady. And uh, I'm telling you what, when the Lord saved her, the Lord saved her. And uh, her, first, her first words after she prayed 
was what time is church Sunday? She had never come before. And, and God did an incredible work in her life. And the Lord taught me a great lesson that day. And that is the importance. I was just a young, young man. The importance of letting the Holy Spirit guide you. And Carrie, I thought I was there for somebody else. But I learned God sent me there for that particular woman at that particular time. Amen? I heard a preacher who was out street preaching on the street corner one day. And uh, he was just, the wind was howling. And it was a very difficult time to preach. But he was preaching with all of his heart. And he had some people stop and they, they, uh, they annoyed him. They, they just, uh, uh, they were uh, mocking him. And finally he decided to uh, pack his things up and go home. He just felt like God didn't do anything that day. Uh, but when he got to church the next Sunday, there was a person who came and said that they wanted to get saved. And he asked them, well, what led you to this decision? They said, you didn't know it, but I was in the store, for, I was in the store out, and you were preaching right outside. And I listened to every word that you had to say. And I've been convicted every moment since. And I found out where you pastored, and I wanted to come and allow you to lead me to Jesus. You never know what God's going to do. We have to be willing to be still, to get quiet enough to allow God to lead us and direct our steps. And then we'll be exactly where God wants us to be. My message this morning in Acts chapter 13 falls in that line. We have, we have studied how Saul, the great persecutor of Christianity, got saved in chapter number 9. And the last time we were in, uh, in this, going through this series in the book of Acts, we had seen how Barnabas brought him to Antioch in chapter 11, and he was used of God to disciple new believers. And then he was in charge of the offering that they had taken up because there was a famine in the land, and so they took the offering to Jerusalem. And now they have returned. And we, we see the Holy Ghost at work, the Holy Spirit at work, in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. I'm just going to highlight three things, three statements here, and I want you to underline them in your Bible, if you would. And that is this, first of all, that the Holy Ghost called. I'm using, we as Baptists are afraid of the term Holy Ghost because of the Pentecostals. And, but the Bible uses Holy Ghost, okay? So he's also the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to use the Bible term here. The Holy Ghost called... In verse number 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. And then in verse number 4, the Holy Ghost sent. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. And then in verse number 9, we see that the Holy Ghost led. Because the Bible says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, being Elimus the sorcerer, and we'll get into that more. 
But we see the Holy Spirit directing the lives of these two men. And I want that to really help us with this message. Because we need the Holy Spirit to guide our steps each and every day. Now, the first, I want to break verses 1 through 13 down to three points. And verses 1 through 5, I want us to see their calling, okay? We see their calling. They were, they were, they were separated by the Holy Spirit. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. And when they, when they were in the church in verse number 1 at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and they're, they're listed by name. There, Barnabas is one, and of course Saul is the last one. He's the caboose of the bunch. And uh, these two are mentioned. They were ministers in the church. They served in the local church. And I'm going to tell you something. Before God really ever calls you to a public ministry, you're going to have to learn how to serve privately within your own local church. I always taught the teenagers when I was youth pastor, don't tell me that God is calling you to ministry if you won't help move chairs. Amen? You find a place to serve right where you are. And never minimize that. You let God use you. And, and let God work through you right where you are. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary. We, we just need laborers. Jesus said that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We just need people who will be willing to follow the Lord and let God use them right where they are. And as God leads you right where you are, he'll, he'll put you where you need to be, okay? And he'll direct your heart and lead you to do what he's called you to do. So the Bible says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord... Okay, they're, they're ministering, they're serving, they're doing all things for God. They're not doing it for man, they're not doing it to be seen, they're not doing it to be getting a pat on their back or to get credit, they're doing it to the Lord. And the Bible says they fasted, and while they were fasted, the Holy, fasting, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So God has a work for the other individuals mentioned as well. But for the, uh, for the scriptures here that God is he's designating, he's, he's pointing out the ministry of Barnabas and Saul. And so he's separating them because he's called them to a particular ministry, a particular thing he wanted them to do. And it says, And when they had fasted and prayed... And laid their hands on them, they sent them away. All right? So, what we see here is the first missionaries being sent out to deliver the gospel, to preach the message of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal salvation that is found in Christ alone. They're being sent out. And we see that these missionaries were, were, were church centered. They served in the local church. They were church supported. They were sent out by the local church who, who loved them and ministered with them and prayed with them and for them. They fasted and prayed together. And then we see that they were church supervised 
Because later when they're done with their missionary journey, they come back to the church at Antioch and report to all of all that God had done. And what we, what we see not mentioned here, and it's interesting, it's significant, I think, that money is not mentioned here. Whenever there's a missionary called, then they raise their financial support. And I'm not saying that, that uh, there's anything wrong with a missionary raising financial support. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I think it's significant here that God doesn't mention that. They just, they're called to it, and immediately they go out after praying and being separated and fasting, and they go, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. And the question that I want to ask this morning is, would you be willing to serve God if there is no prospect of a salary or any credit? I've got a problem with young preachers who only serve, they're, they're only looking for a place that has a salary. I've got a problem with that. I, and, and, and here's a reason. My first eight years in ministry, I didn't receive a dollar. I just, I was just happy to serve. And then finally, my pastor went to the church and, and said, I want, I want us to be a blessing to the to the Clemens family, and so they gave me $200 a month. $200 a month. And that was really to support our gas, pay, pay for our gas. And I took that $200 and said, man, if God's going to give me this, I'm going to do something with it. And I asked Christy's blessing. I talked to Christy about it. And I started a radio ministry. That radio ministry, I called the radio station. It cost $200 a month. I said, well, I got $200 a month. I'm going to preach on the radio every week. So I gave that to the radio station, and I had a radio ministry called Leading Families to Christ. I preached every Sunday on the radio. And then the Lord moved in my heart, and he gave me a desire to become a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor before that time. Gave me a desire to be a pastor, and a couple of months later, the Lord had me a church. And, and I agreed to pastor that church without talking any money. And after I agreed to pastor the church, they told me my salary is going to be $900 a month. I said, you mean you're going to pay me? I, I couldn't believe I was getting paid to pastor. I couldn't believe I was getting paid to minister and preach the gospel to people. Couldn't believe that. And as things went on, I was bivocational, and, we, and, I, and I had a construction business, and, we, and, 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 and Christy was doing everything she could to save money, cutting coupons, everything. She was doing everything she could to save money. And as my salary increased, the less I worked construction, because all I wanted to do was minister. And I still had four boys I had to feed at that time. And, and so we just, and then the little girl came along. And we just, uh, as, the, as the church grew and the salary increased, uh, we, we instead, of, instead of making more money, we just cut more money. And we just survived. And God met every need that we ever had. Are you with me? Paul and Barnabas went out 
without any, without any mention of financial support. They're just going to go and serve the Lord. So I get paid a salary today, and I'm thankful for it. It meets the needs of my family, okay? Especially when i got kids about to graduate and go to college. Now, what you got to be willing to do is you're willing to do it without ever getting any recognition, anything for it. I just want to do it because it makes an eternal difference. And if God's going to reward me for it, may he give me a greater reward. Now, now, let me, t- let me just say this. I'm often envious now. Because we'll go to door-to-door outreach, soul winning on Saturday, and everybody comes and they volunteer their time and they go out. And God sees that. And I'm often jealous of you. Because God sees your sacrifice and effort. And I, th- I think of this, Darren, I'm getting paid to do that. That's my reward. So I've got to do above and beyond. Are you with me? That's how I see it. I've got to do above and beyond. Those men were called of God. And the only thing that mattered to them was getting people to Jesus Christ. And so they went. And... We see in verse number 4 that they were being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they called to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Antioch was about 16 miles from the seaport of Seleucia, which was uh, one of the, the world's most famous ports. And from there they took a ship to the island of Cyprus. And that was important. Go over to Acts chapter number 4. I want you to see this, okay? In Acts chapter 4, I want you to look in verse number 30, verse 36. The Bible says, it introduces us to this individual. And Joe says, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. So when God sent him out, the first place he wants to go is go home. And he goes home. And I think, Cecil, that is the first place every Christian ought to go to. Go home and tell your family about Jesus. Of all the people in the world that I want to see get saved and walk with God and serve God, it's my family. I love them more than anybody. Are you with me? I love you next. I love my family. I want them saved and going to heaven. Go home. You don't, listen, somebody taught me this a long time ago. The will of God doesn't mean you have to suffer. All right? Somebody taught me that a lot of times when you're seeking the will of God, sometimes God opens up several doors, and I found that to be true. And he said this, he said, go through the door that you want to go through. And if God decides to shut it, then so be it. Then go through the next door. Being the will of God doesn't mean you have to choose the most suffering route. They decide, well, we're going to go to Cyprus. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul is wanting to go to Asia, what did God say? Nope. When he goes to Bithynia, nope. I want you to go, I want you to, go to Philippi. I want you to go to Macedonia. Here they say, we're going to go to Cyprus. And God let them go. And so they got, they got to the place of Salamis, and they preached the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. 
Imagine that. They go in the Judas synagogues, they read the scriptures, and uh, these men took the opportunity to preach the word and to give them Jesus. And tradition has it that Barnabas eventually was stoned to death in Salamis around 61 A.D. But I also want you to see at the end of verse 5, because this is important, they had also John to their minister. The word translated minister is that of a subordinate uh, servant. He was there to aid the missionaries. You could think of him as an assistant or or an intern, maybe. Uh, A man by the name of Englehart once said, there are two kinds of missionaries. There are the sent ones and there are the went ones. And he said, make sure you're a sent one. Now, the reason I say that is because Paul and Silas were sent ones. They were laid hands on. They were uh, fasted and prayed over. The Holy Spirit separated them and sent them. But there wasn't all of that for for John Mark. John Mark just decided to go with them. And it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit leading him in that regard. Now, secondly... I want you to see not only their call, but I want you to see their confrontation. All right? Look with me in verse number 6. When they had gone through, the, they left Salamis, and they went to the other side of Cyprus, unto the isle of Paphos. And when they got there, I want, I want you to know this, that was the seat of Roman government, and it was paganism at its best. Because in Roman and Greek mythology, that is the birthplace of the mythical goddess Venus, also known as Aphrodite. And so they had a temple there. And a lot of Roman leaders, they would make their way to Paphos to seek out wisdom from the oracle of Venus or Aphrodite. And so it was, it was a very pagan culture. And while they are there they meet a certain sorcerer. Notice the Bible describes him as a false prophet. He is a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. He is the epitome of the Antichrist. His name being interpreted in verse 8 is Eliamus, the sorcerer. The Bible says in 2 John 1 verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And in 1 John chapter 2, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. So when they get there, they meet Elimus. They meet this sorcerer, this false prophet, this wolf in sheep's clothing. They encounter him. But they also meet the proconsul of that day, the the governor of of Paphos, which was the deputy of the country in verse 7, Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus was a prudent man. He was an intelligent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So this is it. 
They go, they travel this distance. I don't know what happened in Salamis. I don't know who got saved or what. I don't know that. But I know when they got to Paphos, they encountered, they encountered this sorcerer, this false prophet. This man who would stand up and speak the word of God, but he had led people astray. Are you with me? And, and, and Saul, he comes and he meets Sergius Paulus. And he's the leader, he's the governor of that area, the political leader. And Sergius Paulus says, I want to hear more of what you got to say. I want, to, I want you to come and I want you to preach the word of God and deliver the word of God to me. How many of you say, when you meet Sergius Paulus, you think, well, that's who I'm sent here for. I've come to reach Sergius. That's the man that God's put in my path. And we think that everything is going to be easy. But look then in verse number 8. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is the name of, his name of interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. How many times have you tried to tell somebody about Jesus, and somebody comes along and tries to hinder you from doing that? I, it's interesting to me that a lot of times... Uh, I, I, I lead somebody to the Lord, and all of a sudden, this, 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 this place that teaches false doctrine now are interested in this person and wants to tell them how that Jesus is not enough, but they've also got to do these other things. Jesus is always enough. So they're there to deliver the message. And Sergius Paulus is ready to receive it, but there is one in the group who's going to do everything he can to distract him and keep him from the faith. There's one that's going to hinder what God is doing. There's one that's going to be louder than everybody else. There's one that's going to distract. And if we're not careful, we get focused and we allow that other one. That's why it's important when you go sowing and you go with two people so one person can deal with the distractions. Now notice verse number 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, that's a transitional verse, because now we no longer refer to him as Saul. We refer to him as Paul. What's the next few words say? Come on now. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's being led of God, and he allows the Holy Spirit to work through him. And at that moment, he's had enough of Elimus the sorcerer. And he set his eyes on him and said in verse 10, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. I, I mentioned last week my, my, my first pastor... I was with him, and we was in prayer meeting, and I remember him praying for God to get so-and-so out of the way. 
That's, that he would mention that individual by name, and he would say, if, if, if this guy doesn't get right with God and doesn't get saved, then do whatever it takes to get him out of the way. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when there, was, when there was carnality in the church, he delivered such a one unto Satan. Get him out of the way. And you can only do that under the discretion and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I imagine he delivered it just like that. I imagine he probably put his finger right in his face. Said, you full of all unsubtlety, you child of the devil, get out of here. That'll get your attention. Make a political leader like Paul sit down, wouldn't it? He deals with him individually. He wants people to get right with God. He doesn't want, listen, he doesn't want people who don't care and are a hindrance to the gospel to hinder people from getting right with God. And he's being led of the Spirit of God to do this. He's not acting out in his flesh. I believe that's important. The Bible says immediately there fell on him a midst and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Do you remember what happened to Paul in Acts 9, Brian? You remember when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and the Lord, the light shined, it was brighter than the midday sun and, and he fell on the ground and when he, when he opened his eyes after he talked to the Lord and the Lord gave him direction, you remember he opened his eyes and he could not see anyone? And he went into the town of Damascus to the street called Straight and he went into that room and he was there for three days couldn't see a thing. People had to lead him. And then Ananias came. He delivered the word of God to him. And Saul received his sight and got baptized. Y'all remember that? Now here is, now here is Paul dealing with this individual, this false teacher, this, this Jew who's leading people to hell. And he, and, he, and he delivers this word to him. And that sorcerer, that false prophet is suddenly blinded himself. And he has an opportunity to repent and get right with God. And I don't know if he does or not. The Bible doesn't say. But he lost his sight. And then we turn back to Sergius Paulus. Because it says in verse 12, the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. He was affected by what he saw, and he was affected by what he heard. He saw what the power of God could do in a man's life. Even, even a man who wasn't right with God. And he heard the, the, the preaching of the word of God. And it affected him. And he became a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're being led of the Spirit of God. Now I close verse 13 with their commitment. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. Pamphylia is the region. Perga is the city. They went north from the, from the island of Cyprus into the region where Paul is from. And they came, to, they, they came to Perga. 
It was a difficult region. They were going to have to overcome a lot to travel through that area. And here's the thing. Christian service is not all roses. There's also plenty of thorns. Amen? See, see, here's the thing. Paul goes in there and he's being led of the Lord and now he is at this place and, and Sergius Paulus says, hey, I want you to come and give the word of God. And he comes to deliver the word of God. And there is somebody standing in opposition of him and trying to keep people from getting saved. And Paul has to deal with that. Nobody wants to deal with that. But sometimes you have to deal with that. And that's the kind of thing that keeps you up at night. That's the kind of things that frustrates you. And that's the kind of thing that wears on your spirit. When you're having to deal with foolishness, you're having to deal with things where, where people are concerned with their flesh, they're concerned with their opinions, their wants and their desires, and they're really not concerned with people getting saved. They're focused on themselves, and that wears on you. It, it affects your mental ability, it affects your spiritual life, it affects your emotional, it, it does all of these things. And I'm telling you, just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. It's a difficult journey sometimes. But what God, is, what God is directing them and what God is revealing to us is this. They are committed to the cause and they're going to keep going despite the opposition they may face. Because in Paul's life, it gets worse. Eventually, he suffers shipwreck. Eventually, he gets stoned nearly to death. Eventually, more than once, he gets lashes to his back. And yet, he's in prison. And what is he doing? He's singing praises to God. Paul had his own jail ministry, guys. And he was in prison and he was singing praises in the Lord and praising God. And God used him in the prison cell to reach a jailer for Jesus Christ. It's not always easy. And you've got to commit in your spirit. I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to direct my footsteps and my way and my path. And I want to be in the will of God no matter where it takes me. And I am, com I am committed to stay the course. But John Mark said, I've already had enough. I'm going home. I'm going home. And I don't know why he went home. And it took some time. You'll remember he eventually comes back and Barnabas says on their second journey, let's, let's, take, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, I'm not doing it. If you want to take him, you take him. I'm not doing it. And eventually God used that young man to write the gospel of Mark. And eventually Paul said that he is profitable to me in the ministry. But sometimes people come and sometimes people go. Can I get an amen? The question is this today. Are you willing to be committed to allow God to lead your life and to stay the course? No matter the difficulties and hardships that you may face. If God led you to it, God is able to get you through it. Amen? This, this week we celebrated our first anniversary in this, in this ministry. 
If you think it's been easy, you are mistaken. But I do my best not to focus on the difficulties. I do my best to focus on the victories. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. God has been good, hasn't he? God has been very, very good. You have to stay the course. And how you deal with different situations, you just got to let God do it. You just got to let God do it. And you gotta be, you gotta be surrendered, and you gotta be led. You speak up when you need to speak up, and you be quiet when you need to be quiet. When God tells you to act, you act, and when God tells you to be still and watch what I do, you be still and watch what God does. But too many people, too many people want the Christian life to be easy. When the Savior who you worship died on the cross for you. It's not always going to be easy. But every soul that comes to Jesus is worth every step of the way. Amen? Every person who gets their heart right with the Lord is worth the journey. Paul and Barnabas were doing what God called them to do. What the Holy Spirit called them, where he sent them, and they allowed God to use them to speak truth into people. I want to encourage you. Allow allow yourself some time to be still and be quiet and just listen to let just listen to God direct your life. We are often too busy and too committed to so many things that when God speaks I think we're just blowing right by him. It may be that a Sergius Paulus is in your path. And may God use us to reach him. Let's bow our heads.